So we are um, a number of weeks into just slowly but surely exploring uh, habits, uh, disciplines, routines, uh, whatever it may be. And today we're going to just uh, talk about prayer and listening in prayer. Um, a spiritual life without discipline is impossible. <coughs> I've not put that up there, but I think it's good enough to mention a spiritual life without discipline is impossible. That we have somehow made it okay for people to be a Christian without being a disciple of Jesus Christ is wrong. And um, that we accept that, that we um, allow that to be the case with our children uh, who confess Jesus is wrong. Disciples of Jesus Christ know what it means to be disciplined or to desire that which uh, Christ has took, uh, took hold of them for, to become like him. Yes, we do know that it's by grace we have been saved and it's through faith. But we also know that Jesus said that anyone who wants to be my disciple must pick up their cross and follow me. God encourages us into this participation in this spiritual journey in this life. Discipline, discipleship, and, and disciple are all the same. Whether that be in how we manage our money, our time, our thought life, how we pray, our future, what we treasure, we are called into the discipline of life to become like Christ, to do the things and greater things that he has done. So the more that we are disciplined in the life of Christ, whether we call those spiritual disciplines, uh, habits, practices, the more sensitive I would suggest that we come to be to the small gentle voice of God. I know of people who have um, set aside time to fast for a specific reason. And you come, guys, Angela Rocco, they're all the way through, go through it, Miranda's taken through, go for it, guys. And they had in their mind that they were seeking the Lord um, for a specific time through fasting over a period of time. But during that experience, other things changed in the life that they hadn't bargained for, that they hadn't planned for. And this, I think, if we become more disciplined, and who does not want to hear God speaking to them? Who does not want to know, even though he will still always call us to take a step of faith? So today is about how do we hear God's voice? We've got the big decisions to make. How do we know? I know one of our young people in this church who didn't know whether they should move school and so they went to the prayer meeting which was either, I think it was at Debbie's house, the Martin's house. That young person decided, I need to know whether it's the right thing to change school. I'm going to go to the prayer meeting and ask them to pray for me. It's a big decision. So that young person sought the prayers and the counsel of others to help 
to make that decision. Or whether you set aside time for fasting or whatever it may be, how do you hear God's voice when you've got those big decisions? How do you hear God's voice? How do you? You've got a story to tell. How do you hear God's voice every single day? In the minutiae detail of your day, with raising kids, if you've got a toddler hanging on to your ankle, if you're in a school setting and you've got a young child who's incredibly volatile or violent, how do you hear God's voice to you there in that moment? What is your story that you're to tell? Do you regularly hear God speaking when you're involved in exercise, whether that's you're doing your 50th lap in the pool or whether you're pushing through the pain barrier, whether you're cycling or running? And in that moment, is your experience that when you're in that rhythm, your, your mind's focused, you're pushing and pushing, and you have this thought, you have this impression, do you sometimes say, Lord, is that you saying that to me? I know there are stories like this among us. The different ways in which we hear that gentle, that small, gentle voice. So, how do we do this in the day to day? What does the Bible say about this, about hearing from God? That's what we're going to look at today. But if we were to take an eagle eye view of the history of Scripture, we would find that the interaction between God and humanity is through and always through relationship in Emmanuel, for instance, God is with us as we're coming up to the Advent period. God has always been into this thing called relationship. To know God is to be in relationship with him. And if we think of the metaphors, we think of uh, the shepherd and the sheep. We think of the father and the shepherd. We think of the lover and the beloved, all speak of relationship, all speak of intimacy. This is part of that eagle eye view of scripture, if we look at it. So wherever you may be at, or you feel you're not at in hearing from God, remember that everything flows through relationship, through that regular, steady, constant relationship we're called slowly, no doubt, but surely to grow into this. As Eugene Peterson's book, which I think was inspired by Brother Lawrence, but his book, which was entitled A Long Walk of Obedience in the Same Direction. Relationship. Us, as children with the Father. A long walk of obedience in the same direction. Slowly, but surely. A rhythm to it. And that relationship developing and growing. And the nature of relationships is it's based on communication. Ian and Fiona Meyer communicate every single day. My parents didn't communicate every single day. Being the, the, the final of six child, children in the house, my parents at that point had just had enough of each other. My mum was married to the bingo, my dad was married to the pub and the rangers. Whenever they had a fallout, and, and, and I toyed by saying this got me ready for church leadership, but my mum wouldn't talk to my dad for days on end, it may be on some of your experiences, and she would say, you go tell your dad his dinner's ready. And I'd have to go through and say, dad, your dinner's ready. Tell her I'll be through in a minute. 
lack of communication, because of unforgiveness, because of a barrier. And it was only until later, the last few years of their life, that their love rekindled. And I, unlike my siblings, had those years with my parents. They had flown the rest. I was left. And their communication increased as their relationship and their love deepened, even though they were married for 40 odd years. But those latter years, and especially when they came to faith, it was totally different. Relationship needs communication, as Ian and Fiona communicate each day. And experience a relationship and communicating in different, various ways, we are called into that long walk of obedience in the same direction with the Father, as his children, with the shepherd, as the sheep, with the lover of our souls, as we have been called of it. That's an overview of Scripture. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend relationship. The Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, a weird kind of a relationship, but one way in which God chose to speak at that moment. Eli told the little boy Samuel, go and lie down and if the Lord calls again, say speak, speak Lord, for your servant is listening. Put that in spe specifically to say, um, Samuel was a young kid, how age he was, but he was young. And it says God was not speaking in those days. There was no communication because of sinfulness. When God in his compassion and his mercy reached out to a young boy who interestingly was camped down right next to the uh, memory says me right, either the Holy of Holies or the Terrible or something like that. That's where he was camped out, dedicated to be there. And uh, what else have we got there? The Lord speaks from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. The Lord speaks wherever. Uh, and in the in, in creation, he sings and he, he speaks. And Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I call each one by name. I lead them out and they follow me because they know me. Humor me here just to, to, to keep, uh, just to leave that cold. Who has, who's been called by Jesus? I've been called by Jesus, and I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. I am only a follower of Jesus because he called me. And I don't mean to ministry. I mean just call me into new life that's in, in Christ. And therefore, he says he will lead me, and I will follow because I will know his voice. If I get a rhythm, if I am in a relationship, if I communicate, if there is nothing uh, unforgiveness or things like that that are separated, I will, and Jesus has said that. And Dallas Willard, I like to throw a wee quote from Dallas in. On the one hand, we have massive testimony to and widespread faith in God's personal guiding communication with us. But on the other hand, we also find a pervasive and often painful uncertainty about how hearing God's voice actually works today. In here, I believe there would be a high percentage of people who would give testimony to God speaking and would share scripture uh, as the basis of their faith that God speaks. Their testimony of coming to faith may even be 
God spoke to me through my parents' relationship. I grew up in a Christian home. It inspired me. And I can't remember the exact time I gave my heart to Jesus, but I just always loved them. And that's testimony. And that's what Dallas is talking about, widespread testimony of God speaking. And yet, there will be a many people here who will um, maybe reluctantly admit to an uncertainty about how they will hear God's voice. And when the last time they heard God speaking to them. And I would say God is always speaking. So there is something else that happened there. <coughs> so let's turn to a passage for the last 10 minutes or so. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How does this communication work? How do we hear God's voice? And that's what I felt Paul was addressing in a way here. Paul has come to the church at Corinth, who, who are a good church, but they're a church who really value philosophy or wisdom or reason. And there are people within that church at Corinth who are right into hero worshipping, as it were. They had their favourite minister. Some, some of their favourite ministers, some of the people there, their favourite minister was Apollos, and some was Paul. And Paul comes against that. You know, I didn't come with wise words. I came with fear and trembling. Came only preaching the gospel. So Paul was just trying to say, get rid of that notion of, of someone is better because of their philosophy or their human reasoning or wisdom. Get rid of that. It's not what it's all about. None of you here came to faith because of philosophy, human wisdom or reason. And, and Paul starts to unpack that about hearing God's voice and how we can be sure that we can hear God's voice. And it was only by the work of the Holy Spirit and Paul's witnesses that a church there was planted before he then disappeared and planted another one with the exact same principles. Verses 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen and no ear has heard no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And we know that's a passage from Isaiah. God has revealed things to us by his Holy Spirit that are beyond human imagination. God has revealed to us unimaginable things. No one ever dreamed of this reality. We, I think, take it for granted Pentecost. We take it for granted this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all peoples, men, women, slave, free, Gentile, Jew. We take, that is the, the, the faith that we have been born into. Barriers have been broken down. Come as you are to worship. Focus in on Jesus. Let the other stuff work themselves out. Love each other because Jesus has loved you. Don't cause a barrier to be between us between you because of these other things. But yet, this was, uh, for an Old Testament group of uh, Jews, of God's people, to imagine Pentecostal way and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the way that it happened was absolutely incredible. That we would have God's presence with us here. We do not need to go to the temple. We do not need to follow the tabernacle. We do not need to stand in judgment because 
The distance was so great, and they would have set up a temple elsewhere, conscious of what God's will was. No. God has removed himself from that place, went to be where we are. We see that in Ezekiel quite well. And the presence of the Lord left the temple and went to be where the, the remnant was out in captivity. We see that wonderful image from the curtain being torn from top to bottom. We've gained access in there. Paul was saying here, what has happened here is the story of God. The life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The giving of the Holy Spirit. The empowering of the disciples at 120 in the upper room. This is something that was way beyond how even most of the prophets saw it. You see one or two of them with a glimpse of that. Just a tentative glimpse, almost as if it's too good to be true. And, it is, and that is the reality today. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. God has done unimaginable things, creative things, more than our imagination can even fathom. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this. Verse 12. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father and you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you. And will be in you. I'm sure that was lost in the disciples back then. But Jesus, and, and it was only afterwards that they figured that out. But Jesus says, I need to leave you. Because when I leave you, the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will move within you. But we know from the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, more often than not, was on a person for a time or for an occasion or for an event, whether it be creating the Ark of the Covenant, leading a people. But the Holy Spirit would remove himself was not forever. And yet Jesus says this is what will happen. An even greater thing will happen. Holy Spirit will come. And I'll be with you. Always to the very end of the age. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. God, God has revealed to us, chapter, uh, verse 10, but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Which, yeah, anyway. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So you get that. Who knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God? 
So the Holy Spirit knows what God the Father is thinking. He knows the plans. He knows the very, uh, uh, the, the depth and the wonder of the Father. And he always desires to give the Father glory. But he knows his mind. And just like you are the only person who knows your inner thoughts, unless you choose to share them, it's the exact same with God. Only God's Spirit knows his, his thoughts, his deepest thoughts. And Paul was saying here that the Spirit of God alone knows the thoughts of God's. And if, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, involved in that long walk of obedience in the same direction, you've received the Spirit within you, and you can understand things that the Holy Spirit shares with you. Those things will not be new revelation. If you suddenly decide that God has spoken to you and you're going to read, uh, write another chapter of the New Testament, it's not of the Lord. We know that. And it will no doubt be a revelation that has already been revealed in Scripture. It may be new to you what the Holy Spirit has revealed, but it will be an old truth. It will be something that you didn't realise or you have forgotten. But what is happening is the Holy Spirit who's within us, reveals to us the mind, the thoughts of God. Verse 13. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually eh, discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any of man's judgments. So again, only disciples of Jesus with the Holy Spirit can understand the things that the Spirit says. When we speak of spiritual realities, when we open God's Word, when we talk about Him along the way as we are encouraged in the Psalms, it's all from God. Now I don't know if this is your experience, but on the number of occasions where I have, um, in a setting, been, been put in the spot and someone's asked me something about my faith, um, and I've tried to explain, I've tried to explain how God has removed my guilt, how my misplaced love my, mis my sin has separated me from God and, and that God, when I was 15, used a whole bunch of people to inspire me over a number of years and at a very specific moment, I just knew because I knew that I was loved by God that my sins were forgiven because of what Jesus did. And then I would tell them just about some of the incredible things that God has done. Everyday things that are spiritual, but are everyday, normal stuff. But I know it's from God and it's miraculous. And I'm telling them this and I'm, I'm feeling excited in my heart and what I'm receiving in return is delicateness. <laughs> Some, I remember sitting with my uncle who I love dearly who's the patriarch of our family now. And he would say, I've, I've tried to find God, I've searched, I've searched, I've searched and, and I just, I, I can't find God. And I'm desperate to just walk him through something. I'm desperate to, you know, imagine, wonder, whatever it is. And, but for some reason, I do not know, because he seems to be really seeking, but it's just not happening, and he's reading scripture, and it's just 
nor impacting his heart. I don't know the reason for that. But Paul is, is saying here that um, there's a difference between those who have the Spirit of God and those who do not have the Spirit of God. Those who are alive in Christ and those who are not alive in Christ. Until we have the Spirit of Christ, there is no way in which we can fathom this out. And I love, I can't remember some of the names, I love some of these guys. In fact, someone recently was telling me a story of a colleague. Yeah, some of them are fairly. He's working through Buddhism just now because he wants to prove Buddhism wrong. And once he proves Buddhism wrong, he's going to turn to Christianity. In fact, he's a guy who's going to be working in the electrics in this church come in February. Pray for him. His name's Adam. Pray that he gets to Christianity soon and he opens that up with a real heart to seek and that the Spirit of God would reveal truth and wisdom to him and he would come to know Jesus Lord and say, his name's Adam. Paul is saying um, that we need the Spirit and that the Spirit will speak to us. The Spirit will speak to us the deep things of God. That may be in times of prayer, silence, solitude, fasting, when we are exercising the gift of hospitality, meditation on God's Word, cycling, running, caring for children that are hanging on your ankles, that God will speak that small, gentle voice because the Holy Spirit resides within us. And finally, for who has known the mind of God that he may instruct him? A rhetorical question from Isaiah again. Paul goes on to say that we have the mind of Christ. Who knows the mind of God? Who can instruct him? I'm sure a lot of people instinctively would say no one would know the mind of God. No one can instruct him. But Paul says but we have the mind of Christ. Not to instruct but to know. The Holy Spirit knows God's thoughts. We have the Holy Spirit in us, so by the Holy Spirit we can know the thoughts of God. Disciples of Jesus have the mind of God. Earthly people. Not removed from everything. As Jesus prayed, you know, 15 through 17 in the Gospel of John, praying for the disciples, not to take them out of the world, but be in the world, but to be salt and light in the world. We're earthly people. Where we get flat tires, where our plans change, where we get migraines, where we're letting each other down. But in all of those moments, and that will all walk up and in the same direction, focusing on the compassion and mercy of God, can hear God's voice even there if we choose. For me this morning, it was to say to myself and anyone else who was listening, not today, say, I ain't going to be distracted, not today. However you do it, it's up to you. Who can know that you've got in the I was going to go on and do other things. We've changed the way we've done the service intentionally. But I'm going to stop here because next week I'm going to take up um, with this theme, what's stopping us from hearing God's voice. I wasn't going to do that, but it was something different. But just yesterday as I was chopped this apart and thrown out half of it. Um, I thought, no, we're going to come back to that. It's so important to hear God's voice, to know, first of all, who he wants us. 
First of all, that he is with us. And as we sang in the song right at the beginning, that day by day, that he will continue what he's begun. Oh, we're going to find this. Our shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley. When I stand before the throne, to this I believe, my hope is in Jesus. So we're going to look at that. But with all of those thoughts, hopefully encouragements for you, um, I, I want to ask us just a kind of silence.